Elizabeth was once a garden place with all her glories common, and men did live a holy race and worship Jesus face to face in Adam on thy amen. Okay, uh, let's turn to another um, another quote from from Romney's presentation that may may be straining, and and you guys may dismiss it as as quickly as as, as some of you felt about the last one, which I understand. He said, um, he said something that, that again, took the old Mormon uh, in me a bit by surprise. He said, when I place my hand on the Bible and take the oath of office, that oath becomes my highest promise to God. And when I thought about, you know, obviously um, the commitments made in the temple, and we definitely won't go into those, um, you know, my immediate reaction was, hey, wait a minute. Is he, is he, he's, is he now subjugating his temple covenants um, you know, to, to the oath of office? Uh, and how would one reconcile those two? And I think I can, I can anticipate from all of you a very pragmatic answer, which is, come on, John, he's president. Uh, you got to understand that he's got to kind of keep those worlds separate. But, but did any of you feel like that was overreaching as a Mormon to say that? Or did you all and feel I, like it was completely appropriate? John? I, I just kind of felt like chiming in right at the beginning on this one. I just, I read a lot of, of this, being posited on on LDS blogs after the speech, I just can't understand this point. Though, saying that as president of the United States, my oath of office will be the my highest oath to God, I just simply don't see how that is in any way in conflict with having been involved in temple covenants. Because the, you'd uh, say, if you actually you'd, read, you'd say it's if you because actually, he's saying as a politician, you would sort of add that. As no, a, no, not I mean. You wouldn't take the oath of office as president of the United States if you weren't a politician. But and if you actually read the oath of office, it it talks about discharging your duty as president and and to the people. It, I mean, no matter that just simply doesn't conflict with temple covenants. So so saying it's your highest oath doesn't in any way denigrate temple covenants or imply that temple covenants are subordinated to the oath of office. They're entirely non-contradictory. Okay. I know that there, there, some people were trying to invent hypotheticals where a temple covenant would come into conflict with um, the oath of office of the presidency. I'm sure that some hypotheticals like that exist, but that's... I, I just don't see that as, as being a real issue. Yeah, and I maybe think, I'm just blinded, but... No, I think it's overreaching. I, John, know, I, I have an answer for you that's not pragmatic. Because uh, you don't want the pragmatic answer, right? You want, you want something a little bit more? Maybe, yeah, or we can just move on, but yeah. Okay, well, no, I think this is a good discussion, and this is really interesting. The covenant, without going into specifics that I think addresses, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, um, possessions and resources an individual has. The presidency is not something, this is going to sound corny and patriotic, it's not something that a person owns. It's a stewardship that they're granted temporarily. And so the power that Mitt Romney would have as president is is principally not his it belongs to the people so it's beyond the scope and the reach of the covenant itself that's a good point that's a good point anybody else have a, have a thought on this or, or should we jump jump to the next point yeah well, i would just say that it does it's not it's not contradictory for mormons to take any any number of kinds you, you probably have to do some sort of a an oath or at least some you know sign allegiance if you're going to do uh, work for the FBI and CIA and things like that, which I think Mormons are pretty overly represented in. 
and I don't think that it's 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 contradictory because again, there's se it's separate it's separate spheres. Those are things that you're obliging yourself to do, and you wouldn't take you wouldn't take those those secondary oaths or those those additional oaths if you felt that they were in conflict with your basic beliefs. So I, I mean, yeah. I don't think that, especially the presidency isn't in conflict with, with the basic beliefs of a Mormon because um, I think Mormons, generally as a belief, think that the United States was created by God in preparation for the restoration of the gospel and that the Constitution was inspired by God for that purpose. And so, how can the the oath of office, which is part of the Constitution, uh, be contradictory to that? Sure, Russell, did you have a final thought? Yeah, I, I, look, I can just say I just I just agree with everybody. I, I I took an oath of office as an officer in the U.S. Army, and and it was a sacred oath to me, and it didn't conflict with I didn't feel it conflicted with my temple oaths and, and covenants, and and I don't think that this will either. I think I think that probably it's probably an issue over the words he used to describe uh, the importance of it, and you know, I, I think it's much to do about nothing. Sure. Can I can I chime in one more time on this subject? It's John Fowles here, um, and this is going to you know I think it was Tom was saying something that he characterized might sound cheesy and patriotic, and this also will sound sort of cheesy and very very Mormon, sort of Peter Priesthood almost. But you know, and this is not something that would resonate with evangelicals or anybody else but Mormons. But for a temple-going Latter-day Saint, someone who has entered into temple covenants, to take that oath of office, in in some senses, to me, I mean, I can that as giving even more confidence in Mitt Romney that he will literally live up to that oath and fulfill it to his every possibility uh, and yeah. really, you know, um, consecrate himself to that oath and to that, that because, because we know from within this culture and, and this subculture that, that if he is honoring his temple covenants, then he understands oaths and covenants and that we can trust him when he makes that oath to God he really does mean it in a very, yeah. very serious way. Sounds sure. cheesy, but I think it's a point that is worth making. It is worth making. That's a good point. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. Well, this is um, this is a fascinating conversation. It needs to continue. Unfortunately, I have to go to a lunch appointment. And so I'm going to turn the time over to my trusty friend, Tom Grover, who is going to facilitate the rest of the conversation and uh, bring it to a close. So uh, without any further ado, thanks, everyone, for coming on. Sorry I got a bolt, but here's my buddy uh, Tom Grover. Guys, one of the things that I think there's been a worthy discussion about is Mitt Romney's comments about jettisoning beliefs. Um, let me find it here in the, in the speech. Um, and this is a point where he talks about uh, standing up and not backing down or excusing himself from his faith. And he goes on to say, Americans tire of those who had jettisoned their beliefs even to gain the world. And he's you know, obviously talking about a religious context there. But the minute he said that, I think a lot of people think about his changing political positions. Is that a, a mm -hmm. fair uh, question to bring up? Let's, uh, let's start there with, uh, with, with John Hammer. John, what do you think? Oh, definitely. I think that the part for me, actually, of the speech that immediate, that pulled out the most that resonated immediately from him saying it is that right where you're talking about, Americans do not respect believers of convenience. And I guess my feeling from having watched the campaign pretty closely in the past year and all of his debate performances is that he kind of comes across to me as someone who is willing to say pretty well anything that he thinks people want to hear so that he can get elected president. And he, he's had very different positions 
in the past and his run uh, to be a politician in, in Massachusetts than the way he's presenting himself now. Let me play devil's advocate with that, though, because you're right. He, he runs for governor of Massachusetts, the most liberal state in the country, and now he's running for president, appealing to a very conservative base. I mean, you couldn't go – you couldn't have a, a larger chasm uh, to uh, bridge in the political spectrum going from left to right than that. And, 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 and so is it fair to say, well, we'll excuse some of that because you're, you're shifting your audience? In, in 94, in a lot of ways, he was running to the left of Teddy Kennedy. I mean, there were a lot of things that he was doing that was on, were on that side. And, and, you know, I mean, I think that one of the, the, the lines that you see repeated all the time is him saying, I, uh, since Roe versus Wade has been the, the law of the land for 23 years, I believe that we should respect it and sustain it, you know, in kind of a Mormon language, except for with the position of sustaining Roe versus Wade. And so it, it's, I think he has, has had a major shift, and I know that he's described, explained it, uh, that it was a, a shift in beliefs, that, and he has called it a transformation at a given point. But I, I, I still think that he doesn't come off as genuine or having, having transformed genuinely, but rather that he has wanted to be president, and this is what he feels that where he has to be in order to, to win. Uh, Russell, what do you think? Do we excuse Mitt because uh, he shift, he's shifting his audience, or do we consider him part of uh, the crowd that would jettison their beliefs for political advantage? Yeah, this is, this is a tough one. I think this is uh, the biggest problem Mitt has. I, I think this is a bigger problem than, than uh, whether or not he's a Mormon. I think it, it increases the problem that, that he has in regards to whether or not he's a Mormon when, because people don't trust him. Um, I, I Look, we live in a world today, politically, where this is the most important issue that people have with their politicians. Can they trust them? It's it's not tangible. It you can't uh, you can't quantitate it. Um, they they do they want to know that when you say something, you're telling the truth. And most people don't believe their politicians tell them the truth. And so what you've had out there in this space is you've had these Republicans that that unlike when Ronald Reagan ran in 1980, 1979. You know, Ronald Reagan had a, has a similar past to, to uh, Mitt Romney. Ronald Reagan, when he was governor of California, passed the most um, the most liberal pro-choice legislation that was passed in a state to that date. Uh, you know, and then in 1976, when he ran for president of the United States, he ran as a a very very conservative leader of the kind of uh, Christian right when it came to this issue of abortion. So he had shifted positions. He shifted that position 100 percent, very much like Mitt Romney. But the political world today has changed. The voter is not forgiving the way they were with Ronald Reagan. They're not embracing Romney. They're not trusting him. And this creates a whole new host of problems. It adds to the problem he has with Mormonism because, you know, your evangelicals go, well, I don't even know if he's really there with me on my values. And, you know, if I can't trust him on the religion stuff, maybe I can't trust him on the value stuff either because he's not, you know. So I think this is a big problem. And I, I think, I don't personally think He's jettisoning his views. And I've been around enough politicians to know, I, I, at least I feel like I can sense when they're jettisoning their views for political, um, you know, for, for political reason. I think it's a, genuine, uh, it's a genuine change of heart. I think when you look at the way he voted and, and the things he did as governor of the state of Massachusetts, it comes through in his legislation. It's one of the reasons that you know, uh, Massachusetts Right to Life and other organizations that represent the pro-life right have endorsed him. Um, I just think that voters are really not quick to trust. Now, I will say this. Regardless if he's telling the truth, I do believe this strongly. 
he staked out a position now. He staked out the position of being pro-life. He staked out the position of being, you know, whatever it was. Once you stake out a position as a politician, it is uh, suicidal to change that position after you staked it out. And, um, you know, I think, I think that uh, voters could probably trust that he's going to be the pro-life candidate that he says he is simply because he staked out this position. Um, I, I, I'm not really concerned about it as a pro-life Republican myself. Um, I tend to trust him because I do believe people change. Their opinions change. Their views on the world change. Especially you're talking that was, you know, that was 15 years ago. That's quite a bit of time in, political, in the political world. So I but guess I'll leave it at that. He says his, his epiphany was, was fairly recent. I mean, it was while he was governor is what he says. So, I mean, this, is, this isn't 15 years ago. I, the statement you refer to is, yeah. but his epiphany was fairly recent. Yeah, his epiphany came. His epiphany came when he was actually the governor of the state of Massachusetts and had to make a decision. That was the first time he had to make a decision on anything that was pro-life or pro-choice, and that was the embryonic stem cell research, I believe. And you know, he had to actually look at the issue. He had to actually make a decision that was going to change the law or sustain the law. And at that moment in his world, he was no longer talking about it. He was he was being a, an advocate of something. And, you know, he chose right, according to Russ Walker, the pro-life guy, um, and, and the rest of the pro-life community. And that's really, I think, where the rubber meets the road. I, was he thinking about becoming president of the United States at that time? I don't know. But um, I, I would say absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the change, the epiphany moment comes when he stop, has stopped having to run to be get elected statewide in Massachusetts, and instead now he's in office, and that office is is designed as a pre-presidential platform. So, in other words, he no longer has to pander to the Massachusetts voters in order to get in, and rather he has his eye on national office. And so now, that when he has to make a you know m- make a platform decision, he can run by saying, "Look, when I'm when I actually got in there, I, I started doing this and that and the other thing, and that that's what I need." to get your national votes. So I think that's how I read it. Well, I, I'll add this. This is my, but this is my point. I, that's okay with me. If, <laughs> I mean, from my perspective, I've had a lot of politicians that were not fiscal conservatives, and, and I've, they've never voted for a tax increase once they made that promise to me they wouldn't. Now, that's okay. I know that they're inclined to vote for tax increases, but because they care about their own political future, because they care about... The fact that they can get reelected, or, or um, you know, uh, because they, they feel like they have a new constituency now they have to answer to, they they make the right decision from that day forward. And, and if that's Ma- Romney's motivation, if it's that kind of enlightened self interest that motivates him, I guess I'm okay with that. You know, I, I guess it's not really enlightened self interest. That would just be self interest. Well, I mean, it was it was <laughs> it was it was betrayal though of the constituency who elected him in Massachusetts. Obviously, you know, yeah. but I but I would agree with you that. As president, he's going to. If he was to be president, he would be a pro-life president. But the question, I, for me, is is the uh, the character issue of what what he's doing and everything like that. I not 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 what he will do on a particular issue, but how what kind of a man he is. That's what I'm saying. Say, John yeah. Fowles, we haven't heard from you yet. Uh, Romney says he won't jettison his religious beliefs for convenience, but has he done that in the past with his political beliefs? Is there any hypocrisy there? We still got John Fowles, or is he gone? I'm on. I'm oh, on. What do you think? I, I think that um, Romney is fundamentally a, a businessman and not an ideologue. I think um, so. It's 
you know, and that's, I think, in a lot of ways for the better, that he's more prone to sort of approach something with an open mind, analyze it, and find a solution to a perceived problem. And, you know, I'm not saying that it, every walk of life it's good to be a, to approach as a businessman, but in this, in this sense of, of running for an executive office, I think that's actually a useful trait and perhaps it's, it's for the better to not have a pure ideologue um, in this position. Um, but I understand the problem and the appearance of flip-flopping, and perhaps it was flip-flopping, uh, but I, I think I, I find his explanation sincere about, how, uh, about the reason for his change on the life issue, um, to take one example. Um, I understand that that's not the cynical view and that it seems like he was just changing so that he could uh, make a credible pitch to the types of people that have hijacked the Republican Party, the fundamentalist evangelical Christians and the far extreme right. So, you know, that's definitely a factor, um, but I, I don't think he's been, that he has retreated from from positions just to gain a benefit. Um, that's just my take. The broader question here, even beyond Mitt Romney, is uh, what do we expect of LDS politicians? Pol- you know, politics is obviously it's it's a if you're in office, it's a it's a hybrid of both being a steward but also being a representative. And there are some contradictions that come there, but there are also contradictions in the demands that a changing and an evolving um, electorate can bring. Uh, do we expect? Do we expect Latter-day Saint politicians to be more honest or more consistent, maybe, than than the run-of-the-mill politician? Is that a reasonable expectation? For me, it is. I I would hope that Latter-day Saint politicians are, you know, set a very good example of being honest um, and open and forthright. I don't think that being honest means you have to be some kind of die-hard ideologue that never ever changes a position, no matter what experience or evidence you find so that someone can't switch from being pro-choice to pro-life based on a certain experience, which is what Romney claims that he's done. Um, you know, I think it might be actually for the better if people are able to be flexible and, um, and take that course. Of course, you wouldn't want Romney or somebody else to um, go against the will of the constituency, at least not in a large number of cases, although in our representative system, we acknowledge that that is a possibility that a representative can do that, can um, vote his or her own conscience in opposition to the will of the constituency if, if they perceive that need, but then they have to answer to the constituency for doing so. And so that, that's one of the checks and balances that's built into the system is they'll get booted out of office. Uh, but I... I I think that I think it's good. Obviously, I think politicians should be flexible. I'm all in favor of it. But I don't know that Romney's um, characterization of of his change is that he's flexible and that he's business minded. He's looked at the positions and he initially thought this, but now he's seen the other side and and he realizes that this is the more rational choice. But rather, I think that the way he's characterized this change is he had ideologically believed in it one way or he wasn't as as committed to either position or before, and then having converted, he became an ideologue. I agree with you on that. I'm not not saying that with regard to this pro-choice, pro-life issue. I'm just saying in general, he's not an ideologue or a career politician, and so I do think he has the 
capacity to examine problems outside of ideological boundaries and actually step outside of those boundaries if if the need <coughs> arises. That's all I'm saying. But as far as yeah. the pro-life change, I agree with you. And a cynical person can very easily just look at that and say he retreated from this position just because he needs to pander to certain Republicans. So, I mean, I agree with you on that. Let me throw yeah, out I, more. Go ahead. I, I, don't, I, don't think, uh, for, I don't think Romney's an ideologue. I, you know, I, I actually think there's very few politicians that fall into that um, category. I, I think it's very hard to get elected to anything in this country if you're an ideologue, maybe other than, uh, well, I even think county commissioner would be hard to get elected to if you're a strict ideologue. I, I think Romney, um, like many other people, he, he um, you know, he, he saw something he didn't see before. He's always stated that he was a pro-life, he was pro-choice, but pro-life in his personal life. That was always difficult for me to understand, but knowing enough politicians that try to straddle that fence, I, you know, I understood where he thought he might be coming from. Um, but it becomes very different when you actually have to put your sign your name to something and you know that that then becomes the permanent policy of a state or jurisdiction. All of a sudden, it becomes very personal, and you realize that the words, by putting your signature on that line, that, that you are the guy who's, who's going to be held accountable for um, that policy. And, and I think that's what he went through. I think for the first time in his life, he actually had to, other than, because as a businessman, I don't think he probably thought about abortion more than a half dozen times his whole life. He was never faced with it, other than when he ran for office. And, but when you've got to put your name on that piece of paper, it, it makes a difference. And I think it forces people to reflect on whether or not the position they've taken is really, really the position they want to stand by. And, and when that happens, a lot of people change their positions. A lot of people make different decisions than they've campaigned on. And, and I think that's what happened in Massachusetts for Mitt Romney. What about, uh, what about if we – let's go into a hypothetical Romney presidency continuing in this line – and inevitably in a presidency, there are going to be scandals or perceived scandals. How much of that will be projected back onto the church, if at all? Dunhammer, you want to start us off? Um, I think that if Romney were to be president, that, that the church is going to be subjected to more scrutiny and more publicity and inevitably, I think, more bad publicity um, than – Mormons are even aware of that would be possible. Uh, I think that I mean there was an, people have had the experience of the Olympics where the me, national media rolls into town for two weeks and they want to effectively just do a bunch of feel-good stories and of course they want to scratch the surface and have something that's a little bit shady or scandalous or whatever. But it really uh, generally is a, an exercise in uh, having a feel-good story and then the, and then. T- the Olympics are over and they're gone. This would be four years of sustained looking into Mormonism, and I think that there would be a lot of um, bad publicity that would result from that, as people, uh, you know, would get more of a sense of it, and and in a lot of cases, not not care for it. But on the other hand, I, I think that what the, the underlying reality is that, that there is no bad press, and that the bad press, is, as much as people wouldn't really like it, would actually have um, positive effect for uh, the LDS Church's ability to get its message out. So I think that it would, wouldn't would be fun, but it would probably be uh, very helpful to the Church. What do you think, John Fowles? I, I think that's absolutely true that, um, well, what the, what's been implied by your question, that it would reflect badly on the LDS Church. Um, 
because that's something that's unique about Mitt Romney. Um, and, you know, anytime, if he did, if he were embroiled in a scandal, then people would just say, oh, you know, he's a Mormon, you know, they're, it's the Mormon church. And, you know, not necessarily out of bad faith or anything, but just because that's something that's unique about him. I think definitely, uh, that possibility, the possibility of that happening is probably one of the biggest downsides to the church of Romney trying to fulfill his personal ambitions here. Um, you know, a lot of people might actually look at Romney and if he were successful in this bid at the presidency as something that's positive for the church. And I think that in many ways it could be very negative for the church um, just for the simple reason that anything that any misstep Romney takes politically could become something to criticize the church about. For example, abroad, if he does things in foreign policy that are bullish in the same way that Bush has been doing, then, um, then uh, you know, countries that feel aggrieved by that could also somehow uh, disparage the, the church because Romney is a member of the church and Romney is doing these things. I think that's a real possibility and something to be considered. So, you know, it's not like Romney becoming president is going to be something super positive for the church. There will be those types of things that arise, in my opinion. Russell? Yeah, I, I, uh, those are all good points. I, um, there, there's a lot of, it's, it's kind of a minefield. There's a lot of potential, you know, problems out there for, for the church if Romney becomes president. I, I, you know, I, I think some of the smaller things that will become big, could be, potentially be big problems is who swears in Romney? Um, does he go to, is it St. John's church across the street from the White House or does he go to a Mormon church? You know, I mean, those are traditions that, that will be changed or potentially changed by Romney, or maybe not. Um, you know, I, the scandals, uh, I think, I, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that most Americans are used to scandals and presidencies, and they don't, for the most part, apply them to people's religious backgrounds. Um, although that could be different in the case of Romney, I would hope it's not. I would hope that 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 people keep the same frame of mind they have today, which is, you know, the scandals are usually attached to individuals. They're usually attached to people's political party, uh, things like that, I would hope. Can I jump back in here just to say, sure. you know, just so that it doesn't seem like what I said is totally unfounded, um, I think all of us have seen that really anytime something happens where a Mormon is involved, yeah, the no. newspapers report that in the headline, even if it really has nothing at all to do with the actual story. You know, Mormon woman abuses child in London or Mormon, you know, robs bank or something like that. I don't know. That's been my observation, and I think it's a valid observation. I don't think I'm just picking that out of the thin air. And so if that's been the case with something like some unknown woman in London who abused her child, um, how much more so is it going to be for Romney where that's a key aspect of his background and his of himself being a, a member of this church. Let me, let me throw let me throw out a, a devil's advocate for you there, John Fowles, on that because you're right. That happens all the time. Somebody does something negative, and uh, you know the media. You got to remember is selling a product. So if it's something especially bad, it makes the product even more interesting if they're LDS. But could it be different with Romney, it, given the fact that the uniqueness of him being LDS might wear off with the general population and be less of a factor in a scandal? compared to somebody who has a flash in the pan of media coverage? 
I suppose that's a possibility. I, I don't think it's very realistic or likely. Um, it'll, it, you know, the headline will be, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't, I don't want to speculate about what the headline will be, but I, I do think that it's been a pretty established trend in the news media that if someone is a Mormon and commits a crime or does something stupid or note uh, newsworthy, then that's in the first paragraph of the news article the fact that they're a Mormon, whereas it's not necessarily the case with the BTK killer or yeah. some other... Isn't that an implied other. compliment, though? Because, because, because it's, you know, like I said, they're selling a product, and a part of it's the, the disparity. You know, you would expect a Mormon to be good, but it turns out that this woman in London isn't. She's been beating her yeah. child. Or, or you could view it as, these bad Mormons are being bad again. Yeah. These cultish Mormons are beating up their kids. Like we always knew they do. So I don't know, but yeah, it could be a could be a hidden compliment. You're right. Well, fellas, but I think that go ahead. I was just going to say that you know, but the difference is going to be with a with a president. With the difference would be as opposed to a superficial. Let's just slap the Mormon thing on there in order to get somebody else to buy this paper. It's going to be a sustained look where you look. You know, inside, and you, you're pulling. You're not just slapping a label on. You're you're looking underneath the hood, and you can start looking really deep because you've got uh, people's attention for four years. So I'm, I'm just saying that there's a, there's also lots and lots of things that are interesting, or that would be interesting to the general public about Mormonism, and I think that stuff would all come out. Uh, is is there any other angle of uh, the speech you guys want to hit on, or something else that we we haven't touched on that you guys think is critical before we wrap this thing up? Not from me. John Hamer? I thought we hit all the points. And uh, Russell, anything else you want to hit? Yeah, I, I, I thought uh, we covered a lot. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess the tradition here with, uh, with Mormon matters is to have a uh, wrap it up with a rant related or unrelated to uh, the, the discussion, and I would hate to deviate from that. So uh, uh, let's start off with uh, John Fowles. You've got a, a rant on anything in life, Mormon-related, Mitt Romney-related or otherwise? I, I don't have a rant. I have a a very um, sort of enthusiastic endorsement of one particular part of Mitt Romney's speech that I'd just like to quote. It's, he stated, I believe that every faith I have encountered draws its adherents closer to God, and in every faith I have come to know there are features I wish were in my own. I love the profound ceremony of the Catholic Mass, the approachability of God in the prayers of the evangelicals, the tenderness of spirit among the Pentecostals, the confident independence of the Lutherans, the ancient traditions of the Jews unchanged through the ages, and the commitment to frequent prayer of the Muslims. As I travel across the country and see our towns and cities, I am always moved by the many houses of worship with their steeples all pointing to heaven, reminding us of the source of life's blessings. And uh, that quote, to me, um, really picked up on a universalist streak in Mormonism, because I believe that statement is fully compatible with a very orthodox understanding of the Mormon faith. And I, I really appreciate, appreciated those words from Mitt Romney. Well said, uh, John Fowles. Russell, do you want to throw in your traditional uh, last statement, rant, amusing uh, observation? Yeah, sure. I, there was something that Romney did late in his speech. And by the way, John, that was beautiful. Um, he, he does, he, he, he references Sam Adams, who's one of my heroes of history, of American history. And he says, I'll just read it to you. He says, then Sam Adams rose and said he would hear a prayer from anyone of piety and good character as long as they were a patriot. And this is during the um, First Continental Congress. And and then he goes on, he says, and so together they prayed and together they fought and together by the grace of God, 
they founded a great nation. I, I think one of the things Romney did with this speech, and I, you know, and I'll just close with this, is he managed to um, touch on what every, um, I think, what most Americans see as we are a unique place. We are a special spot in the world. We are a special place in the world where people have the freedom to worship as they want, to, to identify with God, and to personalize that God how they want, and, and to make that, that, that personal relationship with their God or that communal relationship their own. And, and that, that's unique or has been fairly unique to America um, over the last 200 years. And it's, it's a little less unique today, but, you know, that, that makes us special. And it's a special heritage we all share, and and we need to be, um, we we need to be, uh, we we find strength in our diversity. I think is what he was trying to say. That 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 meant a lot to me. Anyhow, I had to use Sam Adams. He's one of my heroes, so I thought I'd close with that. Well said, Russell. And uh, the the final rant or uh, observation from John Hamer. John. Well, my my final rant is. I mean, I completely. I loved the. The, the quote that that John Fowles just gave, but my, I guess my I went away from that speech feeling yes I agree that that's what makes America special our pluralism our tolerance our freedom of religion but for me freedom of religion the what the, what makes us have freedom of religion is the separation of church and state that's what makes religion free and have free practice and when you want to intrude a particular religion or a set of religions if you want to list off all the ones that are acceptable and and bring those into uh the public sphere and by breaking down the wall of the separation of church and state then suddenly that's what eliminates freedom of religion and so i thought that unfortunately the speech extolled the values of it and at the same time attacked it so i i had that mixed feeling of what it was well said john well uh gentlemen uh this has been a lot of fun and uh it's always uh a pleasure to be among such giants and uh, a lot of great things discussed. So we uh, thank both the Johns and Russell, and uh, you guys have a good one. This has been Mormon Matters Podcast. Thanks. This earth was once a garden place with all her glories coming. And men did live a holy race and worship Jesus face to face in Adam on Diamond. We read that Enoch walked with God above the power of Mammon, while Zion spread herself abroad and saints and angels sang aloud in Adam on Diamond. Her land was good and greatly blessed Beyond all Israel's Canaan Her fame was known from east to west Her peace was great and pure The rest of Adam on Diamond Such days to come, a Savior's second coming.
When all the earth in glorious bloom affords the saints a holy home, like Adam on the Amma.